Okay. Second Peter, chapter number one. Believe it or not, three verses tonight. We're moving fast. Three whole verses. Verse 12, verse 13, verse 14. Well, let's do 15. We'll do four verses tonight. How's that? Let's throw in 14 too. Trying to figure out which is going to work better. I'm not sure. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> well, I'll try this. Verse number 12, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them, and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is eminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Heavenly Father, help us tonight as we study your word. It's a it's a wonderful thing to have it in our hand, knowing that it's powerful, and through that you change us. You help us to understand, and you help us to conform to the plan that you have. And that in that great shaping of all of us into the image of Christ, that's just an incredible thing to be part of. And we're so glad that you have chosen us and given us this opportunity to just study here for a little while tonight and to have our hearts warmed and instructed and encouraged and ready for another week. So I pray your blessing on our time as we spend it here in your word and uh, ask that you might accomplish what you have sent out your word to do tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I really love these verses. These are some of my favorites in Second Peter. And um, if I could explain it this way, these verses have been somewhat of what I'd like to call my guide for ministry. What, it, what do I do as a pastor? Uh, and by going through this, you'll get a feel for what I think of so often as I am sharing things with you. There are those who... Uh, we'll prepare a sermon every week, and, and they'll start somewhere maybe Monday or Tuesday and say, I wonder what I'm going to speak on next week. And they go through this process. And I know that's true because that was the first five years of my ministry was I had to come up with something new every single week. What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? What do I want to do? And um, I, I will remember days when Tuesday did not give me any clue. So I said, well, Wednesday... And so I'd go into Wednesday, and I didn't feel comfortable with that text, so I'd go on Thursday, and I'd work on another one. And there were times when Saturday night came around, and I was starting to panic. I said, what am I supposed to do? And there was, it was a, a learning experience for me to be able to think through um, more than just one week at a time. But what is the goal of preaching? What is the goal of teaching? And what I share with you tonight from Peter's letter here is not just for a pastor. 
It's for all of us who have responsibility in one way or another to teach somebody God's Word. And that comes as grandparents to grandchildren. That comes as uh, parents to children. It comes as Sunday school teachers. It comes as, you know, Christian school teachers. Uh, the role that we have in uh, teaching God's Word in whatever context, um, I believe, is enhanced when we learn how to repeat. All right? This is what I'm going to show you here tonight, what Peter has given to us. Because um, when I think of this book, and I've, I set this up intentionally, as you know, Jude in the morning, Second Peter at night. Even though they're really dealing with the same topic, um, and Jude's material is a lot that you find in Peter, uh, there's so many similarities between them. Um, Jude, I like to think of as the siren that goes off. I was waiting for one uh, the other night when they were talking about all these tornadoes and everything else that were out there. Um, and I was thinking, well, are we, are we going to hear sirens going off? Is, is my little phone going to start beep, 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 you know, and all those kind of things. And I like to picture Jude as the siren. Uh, somewhat like a prophet standing up and saying, Oh, here it is! <laughs> Peter, I like to look at him more like the pastor. Uh, Jude is declaring what the issue is, and Peter's down in with the congregation saying, Okay, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I see his pastoral side in this book. And so I found over the years that to to learn from his pastoral character and say, well, I want, I want to be like that. I want to do that. I've done this with pastors, and I've picked things out of their their uh, ministry traits, and I said, I like that, or I like that, or I like that. And, and so, as I've been thinking through the years, I thought, you know, these verses here have meant a great, great deal to me, and I hope that you find some value in this uh, as well, because this... It, prompts a series of questions to me. And I'm just going to ask him and um, see what you think of these kind of questions. Do you think there's a parallel between a poor pastor and a poor congregation? Hmm? If a pastor was prone to doctrinal error, would his church reflect that? If a pastor has indifference to meaty Bible issues, would his church have a similar appetite? If a pastor was spiritually lazy, biblically unprepared, satisfied with spiritual immaturity, would his church move beyond him to spiritual activity, biblical scholarship, and and enhance spiritual growth. Does a church ever go beyond the growth of its pastor? These are questions I ask. Because I think of Old Testament times a little bit, and it's not a perfect parallel, but do you know, as the Old Testament kings went, so did the people. Often, if they had a godly king, it was like pulling teeth to get the people to follow. But if they had an ungodly king, everyone was happy just going downhill. You just have to coast. 
And that was so often seen in the Old Testament. And I think about that, and I think of the importance that comes with a a pastor who is called to lead the congregation, as a shepherd would, and if he can't lead them in spiritual growth, if he can't lead them in uh, biblical desire to grow in such like that and all that, can you really lead anyone beyond where you've gone yourself? Those kind of questions just kind of stick in my mind a little bit. When I think of Peter and what he wrote here in these four verses, 12 through 15, He's not apologizing for his job. He's not apologizing for his way of doing his job. He's setting an example, rather, on what I call the issue of diligence in his role as a pastor. Um, You may think, well, okay, he's going to talk about just the pastor tonight. And like I said, this will fit any of us in whatever environment we're in. If we're Sunday school teachers, if we're working with the the little kids in the Patch Pirate Club, uh, anyone who handles God's Word, I think this all fits to us. I think it fits us as a congregation as well, uh, because anyone who hears the Word of God is accountable to it. And how we, we take that and how we use it and serve others with it is very, very important. Matthew Henry wrote, If ministers be negligent in their work, it can hardly be expected that the people will be diligent in theirs. A lot of thought here. Peter was not about to have it said that he was negligent in ministry. You know, he made a few mistakes that are recorded in Scripture. I don't know if you'd like your life to be recorded like his was. Uh, But he made a few mistakes, and... Diligence wasn't always his expertise, was it? <laughs> He's made a few that we'd say, well, Peter, you fell asleep on that job, or you, you didn't follow through with that thing, or um, we know his story too well. But here, give you one word, reminder. This is what Peter was all about, a reminder. The work, I think, of some of the better ministers that I've ever studied were the ones who spent time reminding. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't mind a reminder. Over the years, I've learned to do more things with uh, notes, writing down things I'm supposed to do today. Um, There's always these these added things to do. One of the things I had to learn over this past year when we uh, started using the Zoom service and all the other things was to make a list by Friday. These are all the things I need to have done. And the Zoom invitation was always on there because I was very likely to forget that one with everything else I had to think of. So I made a little list and I kept it right there on my desk for week after week after week. I'd say, check, 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 and I'd go through the list and make sure I covered everything I needed to. I'm making my shopping list on my cell phone now, which if I got to go to store, I'm out there trying to figure out what is it I'm supposed to get? Because I could write it on a piece of paper and guess what I forget when I go out the door? The piece of paper. And it's like, well, that doesn't do me much good. And most of you smile because you might have done that too. Um, 
So Peter is in the ministry of reminding. And there's two good reasons for it. Again, I'll bring up another thought that Matthew Henry had on this. And, and he was thinking more in that pastoral role as he was commenting on these points. And he said, number one, a good reason for reminding is we need to be, we need to be put in mind of what we do already know to prevent our forgetting it and to improve our knowledge and reduce it to all practice. I know he writes old-fashioned style, doesn't he? But the point is, you already know it, but you don't want to forget it. And the second reason he said we need to remind is, we must be established in the belief of the truth that we may not be shaken by every wind of doctrine. In other words, there's more to it than just remembering what you heard, but it's building you like a security system is preparing you for when things come your way that are not true. You're able to refute it and understand why. So these two reminders set before us tonight, we, we see these verses in verse number 12 through 15. Peter does something very fascinating here, and I'm going to show you the outline in just a second. But I was remembering a time when I was very impressed with this. I was listening to John MacArthur speak. It was uh, the summer, he said, the summer of 1980. That's now a while ago, isn't it? But the summer of 1980, he said he was at a turning point in his ministry. He had pastored the church there for 12 years at that time, um, and he kind of felt that he had taught the congregation everything that was on his list. And so he said he took a three-month sabbatical. He wasn't sure how or if he was going to return. He didn't know what to do about that. But he read and he studied Second Peter for those months. And he came back ready to go. Because he realized that his ministry was a reminding ministry. Many times people I know in the pastoral ministry say, well, I've got so many years of notes, and once I get through those, I'm done. I move on to the next church and start those years of notes again, over and over again. Um, but I found there's such a joy to go beyond the five years and now beyond the ten years and to say, you know, these are building things that we keep adding to and adding to and growing together in. And I think that's quite a privilege and quite a... Uh, an exciting thing, because as we already know, much of this, as I speak to you tonight, much of this you already know. You've been under the, the ministry of the Word for many, many years. So I'm not here to say, here's something new, here's something new. I'm just saying, this is what we were told, remember? 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 And I think that's a very fascinating thing that we can go through because it's so easy to forget. Understand something here. Peter had been in ministry for 35 years about the time he's writing this letter. That's a long time to be in ministry. About 35 years of ministry. And do you think he might have preached it all by then? I bet he's covered a lot of ground in 35 years. Yet this is one of his most personal statements he makes in all of his writing. And I think it's, it's very meaningful. Because if you take Peter's letters, or if you take the letter to Titus, or if you take the letter to Timothy, 
or the letter to Jude for that matter, and you work it all through and say, what, what's the common characteristics of these books? They're all books in the, near the end times. They all reference the end times. And yet at the same time, not one of those books is real heavy in doctrine, but it is very heavy in diligence. Keep going, keep going, keep going. That's what you keep hearing over and over again. To Titus, to Timothy, to Jude's uh, folks, they say, keep going, keep going, keep going. And that's a part of that repeating ministry. You're doing it already. You already know this. Don't stop. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Let's talk about the value of that here this night as, as we work this through. As we have already seen in, in verse 1 through 9, as we were working through this, that's the main body of, of Peter's teaching here in chapter number 1. He starts with uh, the things that we have. As uh, Let me pull my outline out here. The, the things that we have in common, our faith. He starts that in the first verse. And the fact that we all must be growing. And then you get into verse number 2, and you see his desire. Oh, that we were growing. And he's calling for grace and peace to be multiplied for them. In the knowledge, again, there's knowledge there. In verse number 3 through 4, he talks about growth being possible because of everything God's given to us. The believer does not have a handicap in spiritual growth. God has given to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. And it's good for us to remember that, because it's easier to say, well, I just don't have the equipment. I don't have the parts. I don't have this. I don't have that. And yet, that verse, you can't compete with it, can you? He's given to us everything for life and godliness. So, we don't have excuses. Verse 5 through 7, he deals with the, the command and the qualities of growth. This is what it looks like. And this is what a full knowledge of Christ looks like. And he goes through the descriptions, and you see them here, of, of faith and excellence and knowledge and self-control and perseverance. And he goes through a, a rather lengthy list. And make sure that you're diligent, he keeps saying. Make room for these things to grow and let them grow in your faith and let them grow. And when he gets to verse 8 and 9, he says, and these are the results. If you are growing, the evidence will be there. You will be fruitful. You will increase. You will be useful. I said that backwards in the way he did. He says, for if you lack these qualities, if, if they aren't there, you will be useless and you will be unfruitful. <laughs> and I think we want to be useful, don't we? And we want to be fruitful. And that's the picture of making room for this to grow and to grow. And then he gets to verse 10 and he hits us with a therefore. That's what we saw last time we were in this passage together. He says, therefore, let's be all the more diligent. He turns it up a little more. And he says, all the more diligent. Uh, make sure of your role and your call to diligence. Make sure that you're being Active in this. We saw that all the way down to verse number 11. And the picture at the end of our thoughts last time was, how are you going to enter the harbor? Remember? A ship that's all wore out and they have to pull it in with the tugboat? Or are you going to come streaming into the harbor like one who is finishing a race with victory? 
That's the picture of verse number 11. The way of entrance into eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That's a great concept. I would rather end that way, wouldn't you? You're rushing across the finish line into the glory of the Lord and not, not just whimpering your way in. And that's his picture of more evidence of diligence and diligence and diligence. And suddenly look at verse number 12. Another therefore. This is a therefore based on the last therefore. He, he's building on these concepts. And this is the picture. If you're ready for this, it's real simple. The first nine or ten verses, nine really, was, now be diligent in your life. And he says in verse 10 and 11, be especially diligent in your life. And then he gets to verse 12 and he says, and I will be diligent. He suddenly puts himself in the picture as the, the one who is helping them remember so that they can be all the more diligent. He says, I will be diligent. I, that's my role to you. That's, I'm going to illustrate my truth to you that I have from God that I will be diligent for your sake. And that diligence lies in the simple act of reminding. Let's break it down into three little pictures for you. Real simple. Verse number 12, While I live, I will remind you of these things. While I'm alive, I will always intend to remind you of these things. That's his action. Verse 13 and 14, Before I die... I will continue to stir up your remembrance. He's got an attitude here. I will do this. And the third one in verse 15. After I die, I will be diligent to leave you always remembering. That's his aim. Picture it this way. Right now I'm just going to repeat myself and teach you and teach you and teach you and teach you. And my goal for the rest of my life is to remind you and teach you and teach you and teach you and teach you. And when I'm gone, I hope that you're able to remember, remember all that I taught you and taught you and taught you. Wouldn't that be a great aim? Wouldn't that be an excellent tool to use? It's being used on us all the time. Do you know that? Pick any commercial you want from 1970, like a a McDonald's commercial and start singing the song. You can talk about Big Macs. You can talk about Burger King and have it your way. You can, you can hit all these things. And guess what? They're in here. Why? We heard it over and over and over and over again. And it sticks. In the Old Testament, they used another uh, interesting tool in teaching. It was called the acrostic. Psalms, some of the Psalms, the book of Lamentations has it as well, that the first letter of each verse matched the letters in order of the Hebrew alphabet. And that sounds very clever, and it's actually probably pretty tough to do in any way, but it had a tool woven into it for memory purposes. If you could remember the alphabet, then you could remember the first word for each of these particular Verses. And what a clever way to do that. We do that with a lot of things. If I tell you, 
the word grace and ask you to fill in G-R-A-C-E, you probably can, can't you? God's riches at Christ's expense. That worked. This is what Peter is doing for us. He says, while I live, let's look at verse number 12 first. This is his therefore, since you've got to be diligent, I'll be diligent to help you be diligent. Therefore, I will always intend. The, the King James actually expresses that in the negative. He says, I will not be negligent. But the idea, I, it's real strong. I will always. That's a big way to say something. I will always, always intend to keep on reminding you of these things. What things? Verse 1 through 9. That we have this in common. That I, I really wish it'd be growing. That you have everything you need from God to grow. And these are the things He's looking at for your growth. Because if all these are produced in you, then you will be useful and you will be fruitful. That's the heart of what he wanted to share with them. And he says, and I will take these things and make sure that you always have them in front of you. That's the way he starts this. I will always keep on reminding you of these things. Even though you already know them. Even though you already know them. Mature believers still need reminders. I don't know if you know that. But they do. Lest we become uh, um, kind of stale. Forgetful. Maybe even a, a little bit worse than that. As J. Vernon McGee said, spiritually senile. I said, I don't want to go down that road, do you? Um, he says, you've got to keep building. You need to know more. You need to know more. But you don't need to forget what you've been given. You need to be reminded in what you already know. I had this student at Cornerstone that she always made me laugh. She was in class and, and we'd be going through something in, in one of the uh, Greek system there and talking about it. All of a sudden she'd go, Oh! Like that. And I said, What's the matter? She says, I get it! And it's like, it was very dramatic. But when that happened, it just kind of alarmed you. Like, what happened there? And then after a while, she's got so much going in, she says, I can't take anymore. It's like you're pushing it in the front of my head and it's coming out the back. And I said... She was very graphic in her description. And I, I think of this as, as when we're talking about, what do we need to know? More? Well, yeah, we always have room to grow and know more, right? More of God's Word. No, we need to know more. But we also need the reminder of what we do know. That needs to keep being rehearsed over and over and over again. Some things somebody might say, I know everything about it. I don't know what topic that would be. If it's mathematics, you don't include me. I don't. It gets beyond by uh, uh, geometry, and I'm completely lost. I have no idea what those numbers. And when they went to fake numbers, I don't even know what that was. I, I have no clue. But uh, numbers, they were tough for me. 
some people know a ton of math, and you could throw them anything, and they know it. They've got it pretty well under control. And maybe that's true of people with the study of biology and other things like that. But who ever said in the Christian circle, I know everything there is to know about God's Word? Everything. We have room to grow, don't we? We all have room to grow. We all have, have added elements to studying God's Word because we're not just studying the facts. When we study God's Word, we're studying life. We're studying emotion. We're studying you know, ambition. We're studying our will. We're studying sin. We're studying all these different topics at the same time. I love that about God's Word. It, it's not boring. And if you study it well, it will challenge you every single time. But Christians must grow. And we repeat that over and over again. We must grow. We must grow. And Peter says, that's what I'm going to help you with. I'm always going to remind you to keep growing. I will be diligent to remind you of the things you already know. I'm going to keep it coming. There was a, the church I was at first in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. There was a lot of things I had to learn in ministry. And one of the hard things I learned was this. The, the elder board I was working with, um, looking back on it, I don't think any of them knew the Lord. Um, one of them was a thief. And he was our treasurer. And we found that out later. And that was not pretty. Uh, one of them was a advanced teacher in the Masonic Lodge. Which was like, that's not a good thing. Uh, and the third one had no spiritual temperature whatsoever. None whatsoever. And prior to me going there, he was an old man when I got there, but prior to me going there, he and his brother were very active in the KKK in Birmingham, Alabama. And all the news you ever hear of, they were probably in the middle of all that. And it's like, so there's my elder board, right? And uh, so I recall once, and I was a very young pastor, I recall once preaching on the gospel. And when I finished the sermon, uh, I was getting ready to leave, and one of those elders came up to me and said, we don't want you to preach on that anymore. We've heard that all before. Let's start with something new next time. And that got me thinking suddenly. Why would any believer not want to hear about what Christ has done for them? The cross and the payment of, of his life for our sins. It, a maturing believer ought to desire to know more and to hear it again and to hear it again and to hear it again. Do we get tired of the gospel? Do we get tired of the elementary points in God's Word? Do we get tired of reading about God's love? Do we get tired of those things? Do we say, oh, I've heard that. Now, give me something different. That just reminds me of their spiritual temperature that I think that mature people want to hear it again. They're growing in it because they've learned to love it. And that's been something that's been impressed upon my heart when I read about what Peter's conviction is about the truth here. He says, I'm not looking for new truths. I'm not trying to create something different. 
I, I'm not writing something entirely strange here. Said, my job is to give you God's word and to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it again. And that was very freeing for me to start to understand. Because I wasn't thinking every single week after that, now what new thing can I do for Sunday morning? I was thinking, what do we need to know? What do we need a reminder of? See, there's a place for repetition of the old truths. Even when the saints know it very well, because how much of that have we actually put into practice? We know it, but do we do it? That's always a reason to press diligence. The second thing is that truth needs to be repeated, because here's the simple fact. This world is constantly repeating to you junk. Constantly. If you just add up the hours of the day, how many hours in one day does the world give you information, and how many hours in one day does God's Word give you information? Magnify that by a week. How many days of a week do you spend in God's Word? How many days of a week does the world bombard you with the constant, constant message it wants to get out? If nothing else, we need to repeat it because we're competing with the junk that this world is throwing our way on a constant, constant level. So we have to have a deep conviction about that. And I think Peter shows us that. That he says, I will always be in the action of reminding you. I will keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Even though you know it, I'm going to repeat it. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Right? It's a good thing for us to do. It's good for teachers. It's good for listeners. We need to keep repeating it. I don't think we could get too much of it. The mature will not consider that to be too much. So, that's the first thing. I will always intend to keep on reminding you of these things, even though you are established in them. Even though you already know them. And that's your strength. Even though that's true, I will keep that up. Peter might be remembering a, a time in his life when Jesus talked to him. Go back to Luke chapter... 22 for a minute. I like to put his, his uh, history in the story a little bit. Say, what makes Peter think like this? But Luke chapter 22, uh, verse number 32. You'll recognize the passage as we start in here. Because this is about the time when Peter starts to feel pretty good about himself. Uh, He's saying, you know, things like, you know, I'll never, I'll never leave you. I'll never deny you. I'll never walk away. I'll defend you, right? Those kind of uh, statements that he had. And this was that evening before Jesus was to be crucified. They had the, the table. They're sitting there at the table together. And the Lord is talking to them about the cup and the, and the bread and such like that. And then you get to verse number 24, or just back up a minute. And there arose a dispute among them, the disciples, as to which one of them is to be regarded as greatest. Isn't that funny to hear? In the middle of that ceremony, in the middle of that solemn night, that they're having an argument. 
And Jesus talks to them about that. And uh, then he goes down to verse 30. You eat and drink at my table in the kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And then he turns right over to Peter, looking right at him, and he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. How would you feel at the table right now if you were Simon? But this is what he adds. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, once you have been turned again, what do you do? Strengthen your brothers. Did Peter mess up? Yes, he did. But he was told what, what was on the other side of that. You're going to have a ministry, Peter, to strengthen your brothers. Even though they're, they may be established, here he says, even though you're already established in this, you're established in the truth. It's present in you. I know. But I'm not going to quit now. Even though you're strong in it. You're staying up. You're settled. You're fixed in it. The truth still needs to be repeated. Because he says, I know how quick we can fall. Been there. And my job is to strengthen you now. And so while I'm living, I'm going to keep on reminding you. Point one. Point two, verse 13 and 14. Before I die, I will continue to stir up your remembrance. Notice how he says it here. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is eminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. I wonder if he's starting to think more and more about heaven by the time he's writing this book. It's been about 35 years since Jesus told him. And when you are old, they will take you to places you don't want to go. There's a reference to his death. You'll find that at John chapter 21. It was understood that was a reference to Peter's death. And I imagine as he's getting on in age, he's starting to think, you know, it's a lot closer than it used to be. This is the last letter he writes that we have a record of. And guess what's on his mind? My earthly dwelling, the laying aside of it, is imminent. It's coming. It's close. He realizes that he is soon to go to be with the Lord. If you knew that, would that change this week? As to what you consider important to do? I think it would. It would change all of us if we thought, oh, my leaving is imminent. We would dedicate ourselves even more to the things that are important. And Peter says, before I die, I'm going to continue to stir up your remembrance. To stir it up. There's a, a, a scene in my mind. Every time I hear the word stir up, there's one scene in my mind every single time. And that was when my oldest son who will they be nameless, just to be safe. Uh, but he lives in Montana. Um, we bought a, a goldfish, and we had it in this beautiful round bowl, and it was about this high up, but it was round, and it sat on the coffee table. And you could look at the fish, and you could enjoy the fish, and we thought he'd love to have a fish. So we bought him a goldfish, 
put it in his bowl, put it on the coffee table, and enjoyed it for several hours. You know, he's just sitting there watching the fish and stuff. And for whatever reason, we had left the room for a few minutes. And when we came back, he had a wooden spoon, and he was stirring that bowl as fast as he could. That poor little fish was just spinning round and round and round and round. And we're like, stop! And, and, you know, he didn't know what he was up to, but he stopped. And the fish had a heart attack and died. Just like that, boom! It was dead because of that, that motion. It wasn't wanting that. And I said, wow! That's what I think of when I hear it stir up. <laughs> it just comes to my mind is this picture of very aggressively... Put emotion to it, right? Stir up your remembrance. Stir it up. It's kind of aggressive in my thinking. But Peter's saying, you know, I know. I know what the Lord Jesus told me. It's still in his head 35 years later. I know what Jesus told me. He was sitting with me there on the beach. Remember John 21? And they're discussing what Jesus said. He said, do you love me, Peter? Feed my sheep. You remember that whole conversation. And as they're talking through that, um, he also told Peter what to expect when he grows old. That's in John chapter 21, 18 and 19. And now, as Peter is thinking about that in verse 14, he says, I know that day's coming. I know it's coming soon. He says, I'm going to fold up my life, my body, like it's a, a tent. You know, tents are meant to be temporary, aren't they? You may you find the word tabernacle in there. The, the same idea. It, it's meant for a short duration. You may stay in a, a night or two in a tent, but that's not where you move all your furniture, right? You're not going to live in it. That's not what tents are generally for. Um, he says, my body is just a tent. It's here temporarily. We treat it like it's going to be something we live in forever and ever and ever. I don't know what it's like to step outside of this body, because it's all I've ever known. But the day will come when we go to be with the Lord, and these bodies will be here. Unless there's a rapture, of course, then it'll be changed on the way up. But we talk about our bodies, and the fact that they're really just temporary things that we're in. Right now, it's a temporary thing. He says, but this is coming soon. This change is coming soon. It, it could be sudden as well. The, the word he chooses here for imminent is either soon in time or sudden, believe it or not, in violence. Like what can happen to somebody caught unaware and violently something happens to them. And I think in Peter's case it might have been both. We only have what tradition says. You remember what tradition says about Peter? He was crucified. Upside down. That's not very pleasant. That's rather violent. But that's not what Peter is primarily thinking about. What most of us probably would think about that an awful lot. But his urgency is not about that. It's about reminding them. You see the difference? He says, while I'm still in this body... And I know it's not much longer, but my attitude is, I consider it right to keep stirring you up. 
This will always be my attitude, because this is always my duty. As long as I am here, I'm here to stir you up, and I will keep stirring you up. Your memory needs stirred, and I'm going to do that until this body is taken from me. That's his attitude in what he is doing here. Uh, the death, yeah, it's there. It's on his mind, obviously. But he's not letting that change his ministry. He Actually, it makes him more determined, doesn't it? Knowing these things, I dedicate even more to my diligence to help you remember. I think that's pretty interesting to watch. Because... You know, we don't know how long we have, but we do know the Lord knows. Psalm 31. My times are in His hand. I just love that passage. My times are in His hand. He controls that. Beginning to end. That's in His control. That's His department. And I can trust Him with that. Doesn't Scripture say He numbers our days? He knows. He knows these things. Well, some people say, well, you know, if that's the case, and I've heard this said before, and maybe you have too, the servant of the Lord is immortal until his work is done. And I've heard people say that, and then they dive into the strangest things, and I say, I want to do that. <laughs> that's dangerous. I want to go there. I want to do it that way. And they think, well, I could do anything I want. Well, I understand God's sovereignty, but that doesn't allow me to act foolish. You know, I could believe that he's got my days numbered, but I'm not going to jump off the top of a building to find out if today's the day. Right? I'm not going to test him in that way. And the Lord even told Satan, don't you test me in that way either. If the church, though, is going to last, the honest thing here is that it's not built upon mere man. The church is not built upon Peter. All right? And Peter understood that. It needed to be built on something other than just man. Something more enduring. Something that's everlasting. Let's cite a couple of those. The Word of God? Yes. How about the Son of God? Yes. Peter says, I'm going to remind you of truths that last forever. Because I don't. There's a good teacher for you. There's a good pastor for you. He realizes that it's not about him. It's about God's word. And I'm going to be even more diligent to remind you of these things. To remind you. Because my focus is not on me, Peter would say. It's on Christ. It's on you getting excited to know him. And I'm going to continue to excite you thoroughly. That's the word stir up. I'm going to keep on rousing you up. I'm going to keep on waking you out of your sleep. And Peter knew something about sleeping. He says, I'm going to keep working on you until you also remember, remember, remember. That's his goal here. I read years ago that if the student is bored with the topic, many people would say, then change the topic. But that's not true of God's word. I, I think it falls back on the pastor to tell the truth. Um, Moody used to say that it's a, it was a sin to bore a child in Sunday school. I thought, hmm, that makes me think. Because I've heard people preach like they had... They had no moisture in their body. 
And you say, what is the, that's the driest thing I've ever heard in my life. You've heard it too. I had a teacher uh, at Moody teaching the book of Romans. And all he did was sit there and read through it, blah, 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 with a monotone voice. And you sit there and say, well, what good is that? You know what? It wasn't about the teacher. It was then that God got a hold of my heart through the reading of his word. As that man went through Romans, I was captivated with what I was hearing. I was stunned by what I was hearing. And I didn't recognize the teacher. I don't even remember his name. I remember the room. I remember his style. But I know it was God's word that was really working inside my heart. And so many times we're blaming the the tool and forget it's the word that changes lives. We're always looking for a new technique, a new way to do this, a new way to do that. And Peter says, oh no, I, I, I'm not going to excite you with Topics and, and variety and all these other things that, you know, new programs bring your way and stuff. He says, I'm going to take you to the truth. Notice how he says this. I, I'm going to stir you up. I consider it right to stir you up by way of remembrance. I'm going to keep bringing it to you, bringing it to you, bringing it to you. The same truth over and over again. That challenge he uses. And I like that. I like that. What you teach to somebody, now think of this through, as a grandparent or as a parent or as a teacher maybe across the uh, street or in your Sunday school class or wherever you get the opportunity to share God's word. Are you convinced that you need to share God's word? Is it so convincing to you that you have said, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to be sure Stir you up with it. That's a passion. That's a passion we need to catch. That's Peter's attitude. And I look at that and I say, boy, I want to be like that. I want to be one who has that kind of passion. Look at the last piece with me, just for a minute. And even after I die, verse number 15, I will leave you always remembering. The teacher's aim is to make you remember. He says it this way, uh, in verse 15, and, that's the New American Standard Version, the Greek is actually, moreover, and as he's building, you see, as he's going, he says, moreover, it's more intense than before, moreover, he had a therefore, he says, therefore, I'm going to remind you, and then he says, moreover, I'm going to build on that, moreover, I'm going to make sure that even when I die, you will never forget. You will never forget. That's what he's eager to do. He's diligent. Notice the word of diligence right there in the middle of that text. He's used it before. Verse 5, he used it. Verse number 10, he's used that word. And now he's crossed it again. The idea of being zealous for something. Alright, take a moment to... Sit through your whole life right now. What are you zealous for? Anything? Does anything pop up and say, Boy, am I zealous for that. Zealous, that, I mean, you must really like it, right? You're zealous for something? That's Peter's choice of words here. 
I'm going to be zealous in this thing. And that's not a half-hearted attempt, is it? That's throwing himself completely into what he wants to do. Actually, the word here in the Greek is, I'm going to exert myself. I'm going to bend every single possible way with every single effort I can to make sure you will always remember this. It's pretty intense, isn't it? That's his heart's desire. That's his aim. He says, even after my departure, even after I'm gone, once I'm gone from this place, I want you to be able to call these things to mind. Even after I'm gone, you will never forget. Was he successful? Was he successful? Think about this for a minute. 2,000 years later, we're still learning from Peter. These words are fresh, aren't they? You still see his passion. He was pretty good at getting his point across. And it's still being said today. The people who heard it, I'm sure, remembered it as well. But his says, this is one thing I want you to know. I want you to be able to call these things to mind. Call these things to mind. This is what these nine things, these nine verses before, this is what I wanted you to know. That you have been called by Jesus Christ and you've got to know Him better. And I'm going to keep working on that until even after I'm gone, you never forget. Isn't it exciting to think, even as a teacher, that you've changed a life? What would that do for you if you thought, oh, I changed somebody's life with that? That lesson, that word, that, you know, that, that teaching I gave them? If we're aiming for lasting results, what is, like we said before, what is the only thing that really lasts? It's the Word of God and our Savior. Teach those things. Teach them. Be diligent to teach them. While you're living, keep teaching them. Before you die, teach them even more. And after you die, make sure you've taught them so well that they haven't forgot them. Okay, now what do you do with it? That's Peter's instructions to us. Sounds like we've got some work to do, huh? Whatever we're called to do with sharing God's word with somebody else, let's be more diligent. Let's invest more in that process. Take Peter's example and say, I could do that. I could do that. So I tried to set it up for us so even you can go home and remember now, right? If I call you tomorrow night at maybe 10.30 at night, you rattle off those three points, won't you? Maybe not. <laughs> you say, don't call that late. Okay. <laughs> That's the reminding ministry. It's valuable. We need it. We need it. Heavenly Father, help us with these things. You know that our hearts are prone to take the easier road, take the lighter job, to find a, an excuse or a way to avoid the harder things. We, we like 
to relax rather than to exert ourselves. It's part of the nature of, of man to uh, operate in that way. And yet, in the Christian walk, that's not what we're called to do. How often do we actually exert ourselves in studying the Word of God? And how often do we exert ourselves in sharing the Word of God? Or exerting ourselves to the degree that somebody will never forget what they heard in the Word of God. Help us to take this to heart here tonight. To realize that we all have a task. And while we're still here on this earth, we have a task. And before we leave, we have a task. And even after we're gone, we pray, Lord, that we have left behind that which has changed lives because we reminded them of who you are and what you said. Prompt our hearts in these things, I pray, Lord. Help us to see the value of it and encourage us, too, in the process. In Jesus' name, amen.